Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good. Okay. Despite the weather, we're all okay. Thanks for the great voiceover work, Andrew. It's always fun to edit those videos. Um, I like that last line of the video. It says, the humble person proves his wisdom by learning from everyone. And that's really what we're here to talk about today. And before I get started, I just thought I'd introduce myself if you don't know who I am. My name's Taryn, and I've been on staff here at Cross Church since about 2006. So I've been around for a while, and I've got you know a few stories under my belt uh, just from serving in ministry. And I've had just about every job imaginable here at the church, which I really enjoy because I tend to like to switch things up a lot. Currently, I'm working in the media department, so uh, lots of graphics, things that you see, the bulletin, videos, social media, that kind of stuff. It's lots of fun. I get to work from home. I've got two kids. Uh, my husband, Brett, and I are going to celebrate 12 years. Is it 12 this year? Yeah, okay, he's nodding. He's a math guy. I'm not. Um, so we're gonna, we've been married for just about 12 years. We've got two kids. Uh, Casey is our little, she just turned six last week. That was lots of fun. She's a very bossy ball of energy. And then we've got a little guy, Leo. He's two. I turned two in February, and uh, he hasn't quite formed an opinion yet about his big sister's bossiness, so they get along great. Um, she, my daughter's in uh, kindergarten, so we're working through the half days of kindergarten, which is, has its challenges, and that's uh, I'm really pleased that I get to work from home and be a part of, of all of that, and I'm really quite honored that I was asked to uh, share the message this morning, and uh, I hope that our time together today helps you... Um, become passionate about being a lifelong learner, and uh, I really, really hope that you leave today feeling like it's your duty to invest in the next generation. So last week, Andrew, my good buddy Andrew, hold on here, got to be smarter than the remote, Taryn. Okay, we're up and down. There we go, last week. Andrew spoke about listening to others, and it was a a very simple message, but something that, you know, we tend to skip over, and I really loved how he talked about listening to engage and to love another person, and this week, we're going to take it up a notch, and we're going to talk about listening to mentors. Uh, Listening is such an interesting idea in today's world with technology and social, social media. It's actually pretty easy to isolate yourself from other people's opinion. Um, so let me just give an example of that. I have um, a family member, and I love all my family members. They're all wonderful. Uh, they have their quirks. And this one family member's quirk is um, he posts his political opinion on Facebook a lot. Does anybody have that on their Facebook? Where one person just could, they must post, I don't know what they do all day. They just post thing after thing after thing after thing on Facebook. And Like I said, I love this family member. I'd never want to hurt their feelings and unfriend them. And I certainly have my own political opinions that I don't mind sharing. I'm a news junkie, so I usually know what's going on in the political landscape, and it's something that I enjoy investing my time in. But sometimes it's just it's reached a boiling point where like all I see is this person posting, and it's like ah, stop posting. And so I discovered a little while ago that if you, if on their post in your feed, you click the, there's like a little arrow or three dots in the top corner of their post, you click that and you can mute them for 30 days. Or I think it's called snooze. You can snooze them for 30 days. They're none the wiser. They don't find out that you've unfriended them or, you know, anything mean like that. And I never, never would want to hurt somebody's feelings. I mean, it's a free country. Share, share your thoughts and opinions, but, you know. I was becoming a little bombarded, and I thought, man, this is just, 
this is so nice because we can remain family and we can love each other, but I don't have to read all of your garbage that you're posting, which is great because I spend a lot of time on Facebook. Um, and then I got to thinking, and while I was preparing this message, I thought, you know, that's actually kind of dangerous, and that's really what's happening in today's society and cultures that we're isolating ourselves, uh, especially on the internet, internet, because it can curate the type of things that, that you see, and you can snooze opinions that you don't like, and you can isolate yourself. And then all of a sudden, we start thinking that our ideas are really, really fantastic. And maybe they're not so much so, because I think God has designed us. He really designed us to be communal in nature. Um, he designed us with an innate desire to need each other, whether we can stand it or not. And we, God knew that listening and loving one another go hand in hand. So if we're muting each other, we can't hear each other, it's really hard to love each other without that conversation happening. And if you look in the Old Testament, a lot of the commands that God gives to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people, um, his commands have to do with how we treat and interact with one another. So much so that, you know, there's the old Jewish stereotype that, you know, they're meddling in each other's business and, um, you know, Jewish parents are overly involved, which I don't think is a bad thing, but it is a stereotype and, and you, you do see that active. Um, I believe parenting and mentoring go hand in hand. You don't have to be a parent to be a mentor, but to be a great parent, you need to be a great mentor. You have to have this idea in mind that the person that you gave birth to or the person that you're raising is your responsibility to turn them into a successful adult with help from other people and from your village and you know, with God's help as well. Now, uh, long before I became a parent, I, uh, I had this guilty pleasure of watching daytime television, not the soap operas, but like the, the talk show television. Like, did anybody watch like Oprah while it was on TV? Nobody wants to admit to that. Okay, well, it was just me and it was a guilty pleasure. My favorite guilty pleasure was um, like those episodes on Dr. Phil or Maury Povich. I don't even remember some of the names of these things. But they would always bring in these like troubled teenagers. I think the reason it was a guilty pleasure is because I thought I was just a perfect child. And then, oh, look at how bad these people have it. Um, so anyway, they, they would bring on these teenagers, and they would have terrible attitude and filthy potty mouth, and they would swear at everyone, and, you know, it, it would just, they would send them to prison or camp, or they'd leave them in the middle of the desert or something, and, you know, that would scare them straight. I don't think they ever left them in the desert, though that is a show idea. Maybe I'll write that in. Um, so this was my guilty pleasure. I've certainly grown out of it. I, it's uh, it's kind of trashy TV to watch. But uh, it all came back to memory in 2017 uh, when this girl came on the Dr. Phil show. Um, so in 2017, a Dr. Phil episode went viral after the show featured a very rebellious 13-year-old. She stole cars, credit cards, had an extraordinary, extraordinary temper and an accent that no one could decipher. And later on in the show, like, she like, revealed that she got this accent from the streets which, you know, is troublesome for a 13-year-old. Um, and the segment of the show focused on the, st the stormy relationship between this out-of-control girl and her mom. And, you know, Dr. Phil was trying to be like, you know, and how's that doing for you? And, you know, try to, try to straighten her out. But really, like, when you're watching these, you know that they're, they're putting this out there because it's so extreme that it's entertainment. And, you know, you really feel bad for people 
that end up on those shows and in those situations. Anyway, this girl, what went viral was, um, you know, the audience kind of booed her because of her bad attitude. And, you know, she, she retorted back and she called the audience a bunch of hoes and then they booed even more. And then, uh, and then she said her famous line, like, uh, she told them to cash me outside, how about that? And that, that, that just blew up on the internet. There, if you Google this girl, like, the memes are hilarious. If you love internet memes, I highly recommend checking it out. And, you know, while this is entertaining, there's a couple of questions that come out of here. Like, why does this girl think that living like this and talking like this and exhibiting the behavior she does... Why does she think that everybody should just deal with her being like this? And secondly, what house is she growing up in that she's allowed to behave like this? Like, who is raising this girl? Obviously, her parents aren't. Obviously, my parents didn't because this would have been smacked out of her days ago, months ago, weeks ago. Just terrible, terrible circumstances that produce this kind of individual. And now, you know, while this is funny... It's also very sad, um, and I think I've, we can even see, maybe not to this extreme, but we see this attitude that's kind of creeping up in our society, like, you're not going to tell me what to do, and if you want to tell me what to do, then I'm going to fight you about it, and I'm not going to change, and I, I've even seen it, you know, I've been in ministry for 13 years now, and I don't want to say that I'm cynical or jaded, I don't think I am. But, you know, you start to notice patterns. People who have this attitude don't, don't really stick around for very long, and they aren't very successful Christians. Um, and this attitude that I'm talking about has a name. I don't, it might be kind of an older term, but have, did any of you grow up hearing the term that someone has an unteachable spirit? No? I'm going to introduce that to you today. Someone with an unteachable spirit um, is really just like this girl. Uh, maybe you you're an adult and, and you've seen somebody, you know, exhibit some bad behavior and you go, okay, hey, listen, I just wanted to let you know. And, you know, you try and set them straight and they go, well, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to change. You just need to deal with it. Or maybe you have said those words. Those words have come out of your mouth. Well, that's just the way I am and you need to deal with it. Or maybe there's, you know, a family member, you know, every Christmas the whole family gathers and, you know, you're like there's a one person that you're like, oh, I just really... I dislike seeing this person and, you know, they, they don't respect my boundaries and they're just, they make poor decisions and, you know, grandma comes in, oh, well, that's just Uncle Charlie, that's just the way he is and we're just going to have to deal with who he is. That's an un unteachable spirit. And if you identified with that, if those words have ever come out of your mouth and you call yourself a Christian and, you know, an active Christian in the church, not just the I attend on Sundays to look good kind of Christian, if you have an unteachable spirit, I want to ask you this question. Does living life this way bring any glory to God? Can God find you useful in his plan and kingdom if you have an unteachable spirit? I mean, God can find anybody useful. In the Old Testament, he used a donkey. But, you know, do you want God to use you like he used the donkey? Or does he want God to use you in his kingdom to produce fruit and lasting things? Um, I was reading a new book in the summer. I really enjoy reading books. Um, I don't get a chance to read as many as I used to when I was younger, but uh, one of my favorite authors put out a book in the summer, and um, it was a great book. The topic of the book has nothing to do with today's message. But there's a quote in it that I wanted to share with you guys today because I think it's really relevant. 
too many people believe that since God doesn't change, we don't need to either. And it's wrong. We do need to change. God wants to transform us. Look what it says in Proverbs 13. It says, if you ignore criticism, you will, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honored. We need the help and wisdom of wise men and women in our lives to be successful, don't we? These people that we love and trust will correct us and help us become honored, as it says here in Proverbs. And I love, um, I love the title of this series. Pastor Alan always puts together these series, and he kind of sends them to us in a spreadsheet. And, and uh, you know, there's always a lot of back and forth in the creative process in, in coming up with this, but this required no editing. He sent it to us, and it said, listen, period. That's a command in itself. And then a study of love in motion, um, listen can't happen without love. We can't listen to people without love. Only a loving person would look at your life and say, hey, Christy, you got to stop it. Something needs to change. That's only, what, that's only something that love does. And love will, will pull someone aside and say, listen, I'm not going to per- participate in your delusion or your bad behavior or this terrible decision. I'm not going to enable this addiction. That's only what love will do. Only love will sit you down over a cup of coffee and say, hey, here's some mistakes that I made in the past so that you don't have to go through it too. Mentoring someone is an act of love, but sometimes not done in a loving way. And this morning, as we continue to talk about mentoring, um, I want you to remember that love is always the lens we look through when we're talking about mentoring. If it's not done in love, it's not very godly. If you're mentoring someone today, it has to come from a place of love and not a place of, you know, correction so that you can feel good. You have to love another person to mentor them. So to develop a teachable spirit, you need to have the drive internally to want to change. Um, Some people live their lives and they learn and learn and learn for like the first 18 to 22 years of their lives. All they're doing is learning and growing and changing and developing. And then it stops there. But I don't think that that's what God has called for us to just stop learning once we're done university or high school. We need to be constant learners all the way through, even up into your retirement, you should be learning new things and applying them to your lives. We also need humility to allow uh, the people that we love, whom God has placed in our lives, to correct us. Uh, The cash me outside girl uh, did not have any humility, right? But we need to have the, a humility to listen to people and say two words that are very, very hard to say. And those two words are, you're right. I'm wrong. Accepting correction, after all, is the pathway to honor. So what is a mentor? Simply put, a mentor is someone in your life that you trust, that you allow to speak into your life. It can be a parent, teacher, pastor, coach, relative, friend, spouse, Anyone that you respect and want to emulate. In fact, um, podcasting has developed a... I've developed quite a mentorship with people who don't even know about it through podcasting, and I listen to their materials, and, and I learn and grow from it and constantly change. And people are pouring into our lives every day, whether we believe it or not, because whatever we're putting in is also what comes out. So the idea of Christian mentorship is that we are intentionally seeking out people that can help us 
where we are intentionally seeking out people that we can help as a mentor. Um, there's a, a famous coach in the States, and I love this quote. It says, uh, you will be the same person in five years as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. And for some of us, if you just kind of take a moment and go, okay, who was I five years ago? Yee, yikes, you're the same person today. You haven't done any of the hard work of changing and being discipled by Jesus. God is not okay with us staying the same because he wants us to be transformed. We need mentors because God calls us to become wise. Um, in college, I had a professor that loved, uh, an English professor, he loved the works of John Donne. He actually did his doctoral thesis on John Donne. And his most famous piece of work is really the one line out of his poem, No Man is an Island. And I think um, because we have all have Google in our back pockets, and there's books written, and you can Google anything on the internet. A lot of people think that they can just do it solo and be successful. And that is so counter to the truth, because we need each other. We're not an island. Rick Warren said that a Christian without a church is an orphan. Uh, lots of you parents out there have heard the phrase, it takes a, a village to raise a kid. And in some ways, we still need that village even into adulthood to help us become more mature. The book of Proverbs is entirely devoted to seeking wisdom. And the interesting thing about the book of Proverbs is that it really just kind of lays everything out for you. It says, here is the purpose of life. Get wisdom and use it. So I would challenge you today, if you don't know what to read in the Bible, start by reading one proverb a day. If you do that, there's 31, books in, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And if you read one chapter a day for a year, you'll have gone through the wisest book in the Bible 12 times. Try doing that and not changing. It's really interesting. So um, today's message, I want to share with you some Proverbs that uh, deal with mentoring and deal with getting wisdom. And we're just going to go through them one by one here. So have a look at Proverbs 13.20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Does anybody here have teenagers in their house? Anybody? Oh, there's a hand. Okay, good. Um, if you have teenagers or you're going to have teenagers, um, you need to drill this verse into their head to save them a lot of pain. Um, have them memorize this, put it on the fridge, and just repeat it ad nauseum. Ad nauseum means do it until they are sick of hearing it. So every morning when they leave the house, you say, hey, honey, have a good day at school. Remember, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And do that every day until they roll their eyes at you. Because if they can get this verse inside of them, if they can learn and understand to surround themselves with wise people, they are going to save themselves a lot of heartache. It's really true. I, I don't think there's any exceptions to this rule. I don't think that you can hang out with stupid people and end up smart. And I know some of you are now going to challenge me on that and accept that challenge. And after today's service, you're going to say, well, I hung out with this person and I turned out okay. Okay, well, I don't know your life, but you're probably wrong. Um, you need to walk with wise people to become wise. Um, I, I want to tell you a little story from high school. Um, we, I went to, I grew up in Verdon, Manitoba. It's not a very big town, like 2,500, maybe 3,000 people. And we went to, to youth group in the, in the next town over, and that town was Oak Lake, Manitoba. It's a 12-minute drive if you're doing 110. It's a 10-minute drive if you're doing 120. Um, 
And so we would go to youth group every Friday night and, you know, we'd figure out whose van we're driving and all seven of us would pile in. And, and the big question would be like, okay, who has the earliest curfew? And so we would plan our whole evening about around coming back. And I noticed there's this person who lived down the street from me. Her name's Felicia. She's here today. It's her birthday. Happy birthday. And uh, so she lived down the street from me. She's a couple years younger than me. And uh, she would come to youth group. We often gave her a ride. And, you know, after several months of doing this, um, she let us know, hey, Taryn, my parents figured out that um, when I'm hanging out with you, I don't need to have a curfew. I thought, oh, that's interesting information. Because, you see, Friday nights at youth group, we would go, we would have youth at the church, and we'd play and, you know, be teenagers, and we'd be too cool for some things, and then some things were, you know, so much fun. And then after youth, we would go over to our youth leader's house, and we'd, you know, watch The Princess Bride for the 80th time. And we would sit around the kitchen table with the youth leader. I remember her name was Deb, and her husband's name was Lou. And it's funny, they were our youth leaders, but they were the same age as our parents. But we thought that their advice was like, Super awesome. Parents' advice, thumbs down. Youth leaders' advice, thumbs up. And we would just, you know, ask life's deepest questions and, you know, pull silly pranks on each other. And, you know, it was really good, wholesome fun. Now, I don't think Felicia's parents would have um, labeled me with wise. I don't, I don't know that any teenager is wise. But they recognized uh, something really important that Felicia, when she hung out with other Christian kids, wasn't doing foolish things. She wasn't hanging out with people that were you would consider fools. They weren't going to get her into trouble. They were going to build her up, and life was going to be good. So that's why parents and teenagers, it, I tell you, drill this into your head. Teach your kids how to hang out with wise people, because it will save them uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of heartache. And I want to give you some uh, statistics around this first. Um, middle school ministry, I think, is, is way underrated in the church today. I think middle school ministry is probably the most important ministry that a church could do, and which is why I'm so glad that we have transit. We've got people like Nick Duncalf in there uh, looking out for our middle schoolers because there's this sort of this, there's this age gap between elementary age students and high school students. And with middle school students, what, what we see happening and the studies that are coming out now um, are proving that middle school is really a time of life where if a, if a child grows up in church, it's around middle school that they decide whether this is, this is the real deal or not. They decide, okay, I'm going to adopt this faith as my own. So middle school ministry is really in the place to kind of guide people in that direction. And a study that came out a couple of years ago, there was a really interesting statistic. Um, did you know that a middle schooler that has one Christian mentor in their life that's not mom or dad is like a 90% chance of adopting the Christian faith as their own, of understanding the importance of making Christianity their own faith? And in, in another book, the book is called uh, Generational IQ, and the subtitle is Christianity Isn't Dying, Millennials Aren't the Problem, and the Future is Bright. Um, it was written by a guy named Hayden Shaw. And one of the statistics that they found in their study is that in young adults ages 18 to 23, are there anybody in that age category this morning? Over there. Yeah, I hear that little woo. Um, in that age category, if you have a mentor that will text you just twice a month, so if you're a mentor and you're not between ages of 18 and 23 and you know an 18 to 23-year-old, you send them just two text messages a month. And not like, hey, how are you doing? 
but like a, hey, how's life going? Can I pray for you? Two text messages a month cuts church dropout rates in half if that person is being texted by a mentor. And they um, defined a mentor simply as someone that you can think out loud with, someone that you can share what's going on in your heart without judgment or, or uh, big consequence, just someone who you can talk to and trust. Walking with the wise makes you wise and helps you make wiser choices. All right, okay, next, vo- next verse. I've kind of played that one out. Get all the advice and instruction you can so that you'll be wise the rest of your life. Proverbs 19, 20. What a fantastic verse. That's like the meaning of life right there. If you are under the age of 18, please pay attention to this verse. Get all the wisdom you can. Um, okay, the first service kind of bombed on this, so I'm hoping this, that you guys are a little bit better than them. Does anybody remember the song? You can finish it for me. I wish that... I knew what I know now. Oh, okay. You tried. But when I was younger, hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? We all have things that we can look back on and uh, really regret decisions that we made. Or, oh, if I had only known this piece of information, or if I'd only talked to this person, or if I'd only had control of my emotions in that circumstance, What we need to do, instead of just living our lives and isolating ourselves from other people's opinions, is to ask for advice. I know that sounds really simple to be making a main point of the sermon, but I think in today's culture, our first move is to Google something and then just do whatever we want, instead of asking for wisdom from other people. Uh, The next verse I want to have a look at is Proverbs 12, 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Have you ever come into a situation where, you know, you're sort of the person that is wiser or maybe has a piece of information the other person doesn't have and you really see them, they're, they're coming out a wall and you can't stop them? I think uh, I could probably write a book on, on that topic, but uh, let me just share this little illustration with you. Uh, this is a transcript of a radio conversation of a U.S. naval ship um, with Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October 1995. So the first message is from the Americans. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. And the Canadians reply, I recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The Americans say, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. And the Canadians replied, no. I say again, you divert your course. And finally... The Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north, that's 15 degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. And the Canadians finally replied, well, this is a lighthouse, so your call. I don't, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it's a perfect illustration. I mean, sometimes fools think that their way is right, and I love that the Canadians were the ones that are right in that illustration, because Canadians are the best. <laughs> so fools, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. So I just want to stop here for a moment. I, I want to ask you to stop and think, is there a decision you have looming in your life that could benefit from listening to others? And I mean, you don't have to put it out there to people you don't like or know or trust, but is there someone in your life that you trust that you could run a decision by 
so that they can give some wise counsel. I love, 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 love the book of Proverbs. It, like, the point of, like I said before, the point of life is just so clear. Get wisdom, use it for God's glory. Um, it, something I do want to address this morning has to do with us. In the 21st century, you know, we, at any level of wealth or non-wealth in Canada, we live a very luxurious lifestyle. We, you know, have all the new technology, the creature comforts of life. We can do just about anything that we want. And I think that the dangerous part of that is if, if not intentionally used in our lives, um, it can kind of become a pitfall for us because our default is always going to be, okay, how do I stay the most comfortable? How do I protect myself from, you know, any harm or bad feelings or, you know, anything that's going to cause me grief? Um, but if you call yourself a Christian today, even in our North American life of luxury, Jesus never called us to be comfortable. He never called us to, you know, do self-care and binge watch on Netflix. I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for that because there's nothing really wrong with, you know, self-care. There's nothing wrong with, you know, enjoying entertainment. But if if we don't pay attention to it, that becomes our goal in life. I want to be entertained. I want to be comfortable. I want to, you know, be taken care of and pampered. But Jesus never called us to take up our mattress, did he? He never called us to make ourselves whole through self-care, right? He called us to take up our cross and follow him. And Jesus said in this life, we are going to have troubles, but we don't have to worry about it because Jesus has overcome the world. And part of why I'm bringing this into a message about mentoring is that if your goal in life is solely for you to be comfortable, you're going to become a fool. Because really, there is nothing wrong with any of the individual things that we do to make our lives a little bit better. But without the goal in mind to glorify God, to go and make disciples, we just become fools. I wanted to bring that up this morning because it's time to get a mentor in your life. If all you're doing is kind of aimlessly wandering around and, and you don't have a goal. So get a mentor. Here's what a mentor is going to do for you. First, they're going to knock off your rough edges. Um, and there, there's different kinds of mentoring relationships. Like certainly there can be, you know, the coach-mentor relationship. You know, you get together and have coffee once a month. You ask them questions. They give you advice. That's normal too. My favorite way of mentoring is really just to live life alongside somebody, to build a trust relationship so that um, questions can be asked and advice can be given. And uh, really, I look back at my life and I think about all of the situations where advice meant a lot to me or people talking to me really and, and mentoring me really changed the course of my life for the better and helped me become more productive and more fruitful. And I think like a lot of young people, I was rough around the edges when I was younger. I probably still am rough around the edges. It's a work in progress. Um, and, and mentors would just ever so gently point something out in my life or my character and and they would challenge me to work on it and that's really the simplicity of a mentoring relationship relationship and I want to give you a couple of examples um, I remember when I first started my very first ministry job 
um, a mentor sat me down, you know, we were just shooting the breeze, it wasn't anything official, and it just kind of came up lightly in conversation, and they said, hey, you've got uh, your first ministry job, have you started tithing yet? And oh, boy, did that ever convict me, because I hadn't, I'd gotten away without giving back to God for many years, and, and like, he said, oh, you, you're not tithing yet, and I said, no, I haven't, he said, well, why don't you start? And I thought, okay, yeah, I, I guess if I'm going to, you know, trust God and, and pursue him as a, as a career and a calling, then, yeah, I guess I better do that. And unbeknownst to me, just that one simple conversation has changed the course of my life. Not only, you know, was I, I doing what God commanded me, but in that simple act, it, it shifted my entire focus, and it taught me how to trust God in ways that I never could have anticipated. It was really a miraculous conversation. And I don't even know if the person mentoring me at the time would even remember having that conversation. But it, it changed my life so much so that if I were to sit down with you today, I would challenge you on the same thing because of what, what it has done in my spiritual walk with God and my ability to trust him. Um, it, it's incredible what it's done. I, I can't even measure that ability. And really, it was all because of a mentor that, that that subject came up in my life. And a mentor really kind of acts like a polo shirt. Does anybody have a rock tumbler growing up? One of those things? No? Right. Does anybody know what a rock tumbler is? It's that little machine you put in jagged rocks, and then you turn it on, and it makes an ungodly noise for weeks on, t on end. And then when it's all done, you open it up, and you pull out like a, a perfectly polished rock. And that's a perfect metaphor for a mentor, because that's all they do. They just kind of slowly sand off those rough edges that you have so that you can have the best results in life. Um, a mentor can see things that you can't see in the mirror. And a good mentor will tell you the truth, even if it initially hurts. And uh, this, this proverb means a lot to me, too. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And uh, the, the best example I can think of in my past was um, my older brother, he was in Bible school around the time I was in high school, and, you know, we were sort of normal high school kids and sat in the back row of church, which I think is really cool about our church, by the way, because most of the youth, like, sit right up front because they want to be here for the action. But we sat in the back row, and, you know, we made paper airplanes out of the bulletins and joked around during the sermon and didn't pay attention during communion. And I remember on a, a two-minute drive home, my brother changed the, the trajectory of my life, and he said hey, if you want to be in ministry, don't you think you ought to listen to what God is telling you through the pastor every Sunday? And I went, oh, it, it completely changed my life. Because he, he pointed out something that I couldn't see. He pointed out uh, some foolish behavior that needed to be fixed. A mentor can help you grow spiritually. And I think parents, if you're in the room today, you need to understand one concept about teaching your kids how to grow spiritually. More is caught than taught. I remember um, my parents never sat me down and said, okay, Taryn, here's how you're going to study your Bible. Please open your book to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to go through chapter three together, and this is what you're going to get out of it. They, I, nobody ever sat me down to do that, but they did make breakfast every morning. And I remember this very clearly. They, they would make uh, toast, and they would butter the bread, and then they would make poached eggs in this like ancient pot that they got at like an antique sale and they would make their poached eggs and they would brew some coffee 
And then they, they sat down together, and all they would do is they would read the Our Daily Bread devotional, about 10 minutes. My, I had two working parents, and so you know, morning time was usually pretty quick. But that 10 minutes, day after day after day, is how I caught on to read my Bible on a daily basis. I still think of that every morning. Um, I sit down, I've got like a nice uh, recliner chair, and I've got my co- cup of coffee, and I read my phone on the Bible. And every morning when I sit down, I still think of my parents sitting down and doing their devotions together. So if there's something spiritual that you want your kids to catch, you're going to have to display it for them. Because they're not going to do what, what you say. They're going to emulate what you do. Now, mentors, one of my favorite parts about mentors is that you can glean a best practice from them. In the business world, a best practice is is just simply, okay, that company's successful. Let's find out why they're successful. Steal that and apply it to ours. That's all the best practices. And having a mentor in your life is like uh, having a best practice person in your life. If, like, let's say you want to get into shape. You don't go and find a couch potato who doesn't do anything and go, hey, how do I get into shape? You're going to find someone that's, you know, got, you know, 12-pack of abs, and they're at the gym every day, and they carry around the protein shake cup, and, you know, they're totally ripped. That's the person you want to get advice from. Or uh, let's say you want to decorate your house. You're going to go on to Pinterest. You're going to watch HGTV all day long. You're going to, you know, find out what's hot and what will work in your house. And that's simply just stealing the best practices. It's a built-in feature of a mentor. Finally, what I want to talk to you about today before we're finished Um, It's something that's very near and dear to my heart. A mentor is going to invite you to the table. Um, Like I said at the beginning of my message, I've got the two kids. They're two and six. And really, out of all the stages they've been through in life, um, this one is my favorite. Because, like, the six-year-old is really bossy and, you know, she wants things done by the rules. But the two-year-old's not uh, developed enough yet to tell her no. So they get along just fine and they play together and, you know, they rarely argue and it's cute and there's so much joy and noise in our home and life is really good. Uh, So last weekend they were playing and and I overheard uh, my daughter say something to my son. It just made me laugh. She said, hey, Leo, follow me and watch me, but don't do anything, okay? (laughs) And I think all of us have had this situation in our life where, you know, um, maybe at work Or maybe you've been doing a school project and it's like, hey, you do all the work and I'm going to get all the glory. I think if I surveyed the room, just about everybody here can remember at least one of those situations. Um, And and I think the most important thing a mentor can do is invite someone to the table to work with them um, so that that you can experience success as well. And now, obviously, like the most important um, person in the Bible when it comes to mentor would have been Jesus. Jesus... So handpicked 12 people, and he had them follow him around for three years, and he just taught them everything that he knew, he taught them how to do stuff, and uh, the expectation was that the torch is going to be passed after his time on earth is done. Now, if Jesus had just, you know, picked these guys to be a security detail or, you know, to get them food and make sure that they had lodging for the evening and, you know, Peter, you look after the camels and... Barnabas, you make sure that we've got dinner. He didn't do any of that. He had them ministering alongside him so that they knew what to do after he was done. 
Sure, the, the disciples were really green, like they were fishermen and tax collectors, and you know they, they weren't professional ministers or, or speakers by any means. But um, they asked dumb questions, and you know I'm sure Jesus had to roll his eyes, and I'm sure Jesus having to go away to pray would be like for the same reason that I have to put headphones on when my kids are being too loud, because it's just, you know, can be overwhelming. But despite the shortcomings of the disciples and their humanness, Jesus walked alongside them and he passed them the torch. Um, And I wanted to address this today because there's something kind of brewing. And it's been brewing for a number of years. You maybe are familiar with it, maybe you're not. Um, But it's this whole idea of of generational discord that's happening. And we even see it in the church. this discord that's happening, you know, the, the older generation is mad at the younger generation because they won't listen. The younger generation's not listening because they have Google, and Google is, you know, more current than the advice that the, the older generation has. And older people and our elders are not valued and respected the way that Proverbs tells us to respect our elders. It's, it's addressed numerous times in the book of Proverbs that we need to respect our elders and gain wisdom from them. And I, I, I think what we're seeing a lot in culture today is instead of us working through that together, everybody just raises up their hands and says, well, listen, if you're not going to listen, then I'm just going to watch you fail. And the younger generation says, listen, I've got Google in my back pocket. And the latest research says this. I don't care what you have to say. And it's sinful. I think it's out, downright sinful that um, my generation, the millennials and the younger Gen Z, aren't valuing the older generation. I think that is sinful and needs to be called out. And you need to listen to the advice of your elders. And the older generation, the Gen Xers and the boomers and the greatest generation and anything beyond that that I can't remember, it's sinful that you haven't passed the torch. You know, it's sinful that you haven't cultivated the relationship with the younger generation where they trust and love your wisdom. It's sinful, but the good news is is that we can fix it starting today. And I, I just hate to end on a heavy note, but... I, we need to do a better job of listening to each other because that is how we love each other. Nobody is happy when, you know, we're arguing like this. Nobody's happy that that nobody's feeling listened to, that nobody's feeling loved or appreciated. So as I conclude today, I want to ask you one more question. Are you teachable? Has anything I brought up today sparked something inside you that needs to change? Is there more listening you should be doing? Has God been telling you to do something and you're just ignoring it based on your own thoughts and not listening to other people? Is, should you be taking more initiative to pass the torch to the next generation instead of just watching them fail? It's, it's a really serious issue that is in our society today that the church can fix by showing the example of listening to and loving one another. Can you imagine a world where the young listen to their mentors and the old pass their wisdom down to the generation? Can you imagine a church dedicated to investing in the next generation? Can you imagine for a second that listening to and obeying today's message 
could be could mean that God makes you useful in his kingdom to do great things. I think we should live in that world together. I think we need to listen. We need to understand wisdom. And instead of seeking after our own comfort, we need to figure out how to be the best version of ourselves so that we can be useful and effective for God. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, you have laid it out in your word for us to find wisdom and apply it to our lives, to hang out with wise people and not fools. And I think uh, it's probably true that each and every one of us have failed in some way or another. But God, help us to start over. Help us to push that button again. Help us to be teachable so that we can be effective in your kingdom, Lord. And God, forgive us for not listening to our elders, for not respecting the wisdom that goes before us. Help us to live in a world that includes your wisdom, because that's the way that you have set it up for us. In your name we pray. Amen.